Once again, and welcome to the latest of the Pirates of the Airways podcast. It's number 11 if you're counting. This time, we're talking to Claire and Dave from London rock station Rock FM, or RFM to some. It all came about from a chat amongst friends in the pub, the birthplace of many great ideas. Claire and Dave knew nothing about Lambay's Pirate Radio, and they weren't even listeners, but they went on to run London's premier rock pirate station for five years even upsetting Radio Caroline at one point. True to form, we find them back in the pub for this interview, as you will hear, but their story is well worth the listen. But before we join them for their Sunday lunchtime drink, if you want to contact the podcast, just like Claire did, then email us at piratepod7080 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any comment or would like to be featured in a future episode. So while you're contemplating that, let's listen to Claire and Dave. Hi and welcome to the podcast, another Pirates of the Airways podcast. This week, we are going to be talking to uh, two people who set up one of the legendary rock stations uh, in London, Rock FM, RFM to some people, but Rock FM to others. Uh, So hello to Dave and Claire. Hello. Hello, Mark. Thank you for having us on your esteemed podcast. Well, I don't know about esteemed, but that's fine. (laughs) If you think it is, then that's fine by me. Right then, the first thing I'm going to ask you is the first thing I ask everybody, and you can both answer or ask each way around. When was the first time you became aware of pirate radio as opposed to just the radio and stuff? Cyprus, uh, 1974, Voice of Peace. You used to listen to it every day. And for me, I think, obviously, Caroline, the, the very early days of, of the broadcast. It seems to be that most people's entry drug was Radio Caroline, to be honest. Uh, First time I've heard the voice of peace is the first one, though. That's good. (laughs) I like that. And then, so so you got involved or started listening to pirate radio. I assume you both then met each other somewhere in London and decided this is what we're going to do. So how did it it become RFM? Were you listeners to Alice's and Radio Free London and things like that beforehand? Or was it just... A completely separate thing. Were you not really involved in the land-based scene at all before that? We was absolutely new. We knew nothing about it whatsoever. We just decided at the pub one day that it would be a good idea, and that's what we did. We got in the car, we drove to a tower block, we put a rig and an aerial up the top, and we just did it. I think we bought a transmitter from one of the anorak magazines and hoped for the best uh, we had no idea what we were doing frankly i've never ever heard that before that people have just gone oh well we'll start a station and gonna bought a transmitter out of a magazine and just done it <laughs> um it, it's it's very impressive um I mean, my early ones were, were, you know, I knew a group of people, uh, Martin, who you know, and Lawrence, who I'm sure you know as well. Uh, I I was friends, I've been friends with them since I was at school and got involved via those two. Um, 
and and then just it, it ballooned from there. But I've never heard of people who've not been listeners before and just thought, oh, we'll start a pirate station. How did you work out that you needed to go up to a tower block and all that sort of thing? It was uh, from my CV history. Uh, we knew height was the main thing. I knew how to spar an aerial in. So I knew about aerials. So it's just a matter of um, get finding the transmitter, connecting that up to the aerial. Uh, in those days, plugging a tape machine into it, and away we went. And and very much hoping for the best. I think when we eventually did struggle onto the air, um, we were viewed with huge suspicion by the community because who were these upstarts who had come out of nowhere? Who are they? What what's their history? And the fact is, we we didn't have any. So um, it took a long time to sort of break into the community bubble. Also, I have to say, the, um, the only women in radio at the time, in pirate radio, it was a very patriarchal community, were sort of making the tea and bringing it into the studio. So again, I was viewed with huge suspicion. You still are. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, I, I know that certainly Phoenix had Jill Black, and I think there was a, a woman who was, uh, was there a woman called Debbie, I think, on Alice's restaurant? And I had a female DJ on my station on Comsat. Uh, but I, I agree with you. It was very much a male-driven thing. And most of the stations only had male DJs or predominantly male DJs. So, yes, Claire, I, th- I think you're right. I think that was a, a not a grounds for suspicion, but uh, certainly um, it, it was something a bit different. And it, it probably gave you a, a slightly unique sound as well. So early hours. So it's all taped. Um, what, how long were you on for, you know, was it a regular weekly thing from the start? started off on Sundays, I think it was seven, 7 till 8 in the evening, and then it expanded backwards from there. So we, we, we extended the hours backwards to the morning, but it was always just a Sunday station. Uh, well, until we, we expanded, as you say, um, and, and got to know more people recruited more presenters and actually got to know what we were doing and started to do it properly. Um, but yes, initially we were a Sunday station on for an hour or, or maybe two if we were lucky. We wouldn't have been as successful as we was if it wasn't for the massive amount of help we got from the uh, Alice's restaurant crew. They, they actually found out who we were, where we were, and I don't know what, how, even to this day. And they gave us loads of help, including transmitters. Uh, so a, a deep, deep thank you to everybody that was on Alice's restaurant before us. That's fantastic. I mean, as I said, I know the Alice's guys really well, and, and I've always found them to be very nice people to, to do business with, for the want of a better phrase. So why, why the music format? Was it you were both rock fans and you felt, yeah, this is what I want to do, have this the rock music? I think we were both huge rock fans, but but I also saw um, a gap in the market for the slightly edgier end of rock, which we didn't, neither of us felt was really being covered. It it was a little bit MOR, a little bit AOR, easy listening um, on some of the other stations. And we wanted to, you know, we recruited presenters playing thrash metal when that first came to light, you know, when the genre was first up. Um, And I think we wanted... um, more women DJs. We want to sort of break the mould a little bit because we had very much had our own vision. And when did it start? Was it mid-80s, I think, was your, your initial period, wasn't it? Early 86. 
early well, 86. I think it was 85. Or late 85, yeah, it was in the mid-80s. We can't see it was you. On your, but, it was on your birthday we started. Yeah. Or thereabouts. So, uh, yeah, we started, it, we, we had some massive difficulties uh, in the first couple of months. We was basically running out of money. And like I say, it was Alice's restaurant that really come in and rescued us. There's one guy in particular, I can't I won't mention his name, one guy in particular took us took us under his wing and he um well without him we uh we wouldn't have survived. Uh I've used his air that name. We used to call him uh, Mickey Fresh yeah. on RFN. <laughs> So, a big, um, uh, big thanks goes out to Mickey Fresh if he's there. He ran Hits, Hits FM, and, and several other sort of smaller pirates. The studio and the transmission site, were they very close to each other? Did you link and go live, or you, or you recorded for quite a long time? It was a mixture, uh, depending on who was available at the time. We would either record it or we would go live. Uh, there was no... It wasn't like we was live every week or recorded every week. It was just, well, if, if someone if someone caught up and, and could do it. So, yeah, no, it, it got more and more live output as the station got on, as the technology improved. I think, as, I think when we started, um, no one was really even linking uh, to any huge degree, and we certainly didn't have the knowledge or the wherewithal to do that. So when we first started, we had a... Tape, uh, a tape player plugged directly into the rig and we stood by the rig. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> to stop it getting near. Or we sat in the nearest pub and then went up when the, the, the tape needed changing. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny, you, you've come from um, a, a completely non-pirate background and straight away you're doing the things that all the pirates do. I've sat in many pubs waiting to do tape changes. I've sat next to rigs waiting to do tape changes. Um, and I think everybody who, who who listens to this podcast who's been involved in the station has been through that period. And it's just quite funny that you two have come from a, a non-pirate background. You were never on any stations before that. And straight away, you fall into that lifestyle of how you broadcast. Basically, I mean, I suppose it's naivety to start with. You always think that you're going to be able to get away. But um, yeah, I, I, I find that very interesting that that's, that's the sort of way you started doing it. So when you were, you know, doing RFM, um, what was the situation legally? Did you, did you ever get busted? Was it something, did anybody ever get caught? We was on the air for five years and we never had anyone busted. It was pure luck, but we was... Had some very, very near oh, escapes yes. though. Had some close ones. <laughs> I think I think they took pity on us because we used to leave um, a, a four pack of beer on the top of the transmitter for the DTI. <laughs> yes, we left a four pack of beer next to the transmitter uh, with a business card on top of it and they took the business card but left the beer. Yes. Oh, we got raided countless times. I love I love the fact that you were uh, that nobody ever got caught. That is really, really good. Um, you know, you hear loads of stories about stations. Some get ready constantly. Some people have loads of people nicked all the time. Other people, like myself, I never got caught. Uh, and I was on the air for four years-ish, something like that. But I was medium wave, and I don't think they were that interested in medium wave by the time I was doing that. So, And what sort of response did you get from, from RFM? Was it very much, was there a lot of ex-Alice's listeners and stuff like that who used to tune into you? Um, well, Alice's restaurant kind of closed down 
uh, about two or three months after we started. So yeah, we did pick up a lot of Alice's Restaurant listeners. We also had um, a mailing address. So we got, I mean, for the time, an astonishing number of letters um, from listeners. I still have a, a whole file full of them. So, uh, you know, obviously there was no internet, no way of knowing how many people were listening. But our post bag was enormous. That's really good because, again, I found that the rock stations did get a really good audience. But I think, there, weirdly, there wasn't that many of them. There was a lot of dance stations and soul stations and stuff. But rock was something that... Um, other than, I mean, RFL, Alice's and you, I think are the main stations I always think of when I think of the big rock pirates of, of that period. And I don't think, I mean, someone someone will email me after this goes out and say, no, there was this station and that station. I'm sure there was. But, but they're the, you know, they're the ones I always remember. Um, and speaking on a personal level, I was very much an RFL listener right at the beginning uh, when I first started listening in about 78. But I always think RFL were quite soft rock in a lot of ways. They, they weren't more, spe- Alice's was much more specialist. And uh, and it sounds like you were also in that sort of specialist, not very listened to style format, <laughs> for the want of a better phrase. Um, so, and then how did it expand then? I, I've, I've read some of the stuff in the London Pirates Pioneer book. Um, and I, I see that it's ex- it expanded and lots of people, again, who I know, John Shakespeare, who, who's a lovely, lovely guy, um, Chris England, who I've had dealings with in the past. Um, oh, I can't think who else. Plenty of other people who ended up on the station. How did that happen? Did they just get in contact with you? They, they all got in contact. We grew to know them and to love them. And they, they all guested. Uh, just about everybody that was anybody guested on, um, on Rock FM. We, we had an unofficial office in um, a pub called the Mossel Tavern in North Finchley, the back bar. It was a biker's bar. So no one ever went in there apart from us. We took over a corner in there and every Tuesday night, everyone knew we would be there. And people just started to turn up. They started to turn up and sit around the table with us over beers and ask us how they could help, whether they needed any programming. It was It was a wonderful era because there really was a sense of um, people helping each other out. Yeah, I mean, we, we had that a lot as well, where people would help stations out all the time. Uh, I got a lot of help from the guys, so the guys at Alice's and Phoenix, and also Zodiac as well. Uh, you know, lots, lots of stations around that time. And I think it was a really good community around that time, which is why I like that period and why the Facebook group and, and the podcast are sort of concentrating on that thing. I've got nothing against all the other pirate stations, but it's the time I knew and the time I knew the people. And I think it was a really good community around that time as well. And a lot of the same names and of, of presenters and engineers pop up all the time uh, in these things. My earliest memories of Bear were um, Telstar 1. I don't know if you ever heard of Telstar 1, but it was a massive medium wave signal. They came on very occasionally, bank holidays. They, they, they usually had a had a how should we say, a beverage or two. Uh, and it was on 235 and it was a massive signal, really boomed in. Um, and that was my first dealings with Bear. So, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, a, a character to say the least, I think. So I, I think getting these presenters on that have been on other stations really helped with audiences and recognition as well. Absolutely. Uh, if you're going to mention Telstar 1, um, I think it's only fair to remember Nigel as well. Um, who's now uh, left us. But, um, number six. Number six. 
yeah, but without the help of all the community, we could not have survived. I mean, we had the idea, we knew how to do it, but we didn't have the support, we didn't have the money to keep buying in transmitters. So the community helped us by building all the gear and uh, giving us studios, giving us all the technical help we ever needed. We couldn't have done it without them. It's a great... Um it's a great story of community radio almost in a way, but the community of pirates keeping the whole thing on the air and a group of people who have been involved in rock stations over the years, like John Shakespeare and bear and people like that. Uh, and was it Dave Thomas was from Alice's? I think it was Dave Thompson, I think, uh, and other people like that who obviously all wanted a rock station or were quite prepared to put themselves out and even put their hands in their own pockets to keep the thing going. And, um, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I, I love that sort of thing. So you're on the air for a round of, about five years, give or take, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, five years. What, what split the station eventually was this idea of um, some people on the station wanted to go commercial. And there's also um, another split where we wanted to try and obtain a licence. So this is in the, um, the Shadow Radio Authority days. So we was one of the first stations to actually ask for a community license. And um, we did a couple of very, very early RSLs. And uh, that's where I met Eric Goss. Because <laughs> they come down to see us to find out who he was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'd never come face to face with him. So I think he was as curious as we were. <laughs> and Bola. Bola was the other one we met. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I, I think RFM was fundamental in, in, in pushing towards community radio. And whereas I know that the pirate radio is still out there, it's still a good thing, still breaking down barriers, I think uh, the community radio, where it all went, was its a logical conclusion. It had, to, it had to go there. I think we were also um, one of the first to use the zoo formats that, that kind of didn't exist before we oh, came on the air. format, yeah. Um, and, and we did a lot of stuff that was fairly groundbreaking at the time that was then m much later adopted by um, the, indie, you know, the indie stations that actually got well, a licence. If you look at it, every single breakfast show now is, is uh, a zoo yeah. format. And we were the first really to do it. We were. Back in 75, 85. So... It's, it was very, I mean, it's what we're doing now, just bickering and arguing with one another, but that's, what, that's where, <laughs> where it all came from. Yeah. Honestly, Dave and Claire, it's not, um, it's not a relationship based on love, it's a relationship <laughs> based on anything but. <laughs> In fact, one of our first reviews was, um, Rock FM seems to be two people constantly arguing. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably not a bad thing in a, in a way. I'm sure it makes for really brilliant radio. And when you listen to, as you say, the zoo formats, now you listen to Chris Moyles or, or Chris Evans, basically it is people bickering in the studio, isn't it? And, and basically taking the rise out of each other constantly. And I think, that, uh, you know, that, that whatever anybody thinks, it, it's not everybody's cup of tea. I quite enjoy that sort of thing. I, I'm a very much someone who, um, who loves the, the, the banter between the records, between the songs, um, as well as listening to the music you know you might if you're going to listen to music just do your spotify list and listen to music but if you want to be entertained and you want to have something that's 
now. I love live radio because I like it to be now. That's why I quite like BBC local radio in a way. I know we haven't got much in the way of local radio these days, but because it's happening right now and I've contacted local radio stations and they phone me up saying, do you want to go on the air? And I love that. I really enjoy that. I think that's the great thing about what you're talking about, the zoo format. It's very now and it's it happens at that moment and it'll never happen like that again. And you couldn't replicate it. You couldn't make it up in a way. It just happens uh, on the air. And I, I think it's a really good way of doing radio. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> our, zoo for, our, our zoo format started because a certain person couldn't operate the mixer. So I had to sit with her operating the mixer at that time. Guilty. And it was like... That was like that's how it all happened. It was um, it was just like I'll fade the I'll fade the music up now. No, no, hang on, I'm talking. Yeah. Which is and it wasn't intentional. We didn't we didn't set out to invent a, a kind of zoo format. We we set out well just to do two shows, and yeah, I was sitting in on the Claire show, and that became the Dave and Claire show eventually, or the Claire and Dave show. And we also, I think, blazed a trail on, on um, faking OBs outside broadcasts. Oh, there's a good story about that as well. We faked, an, uh, it wasn't actually RFM. It was a, a station called Hits FM. And we faked a Christmas, um, a Christmas party in a pub. And we actually said where the pub was. No, we didn't. We didn't say no. where the pub was, but everybody assumed it was the back bar of the Mossel Tavern. Now, this was at one o'clock in the morning, and there's people knocking on the door of the Mossel Tavern, and the manager, <laughs> the manager, wasn't, he wasn't very happy when he met us. <laughs> trying to get in, his, into this non-existent he had his party. Brothers trying to get into a non-existent lockup. <laughs> Good days. <laughs> what you did is you sort of stumbled on the format and stumbled on what you were doing sort of by accident. I, I think, and I love that sort of the way it's done because you've not, you've not come from other stations where there were certain rules and regulations. You know, every station had an idea of what, how it should sound. Uh, and you came on and went, do you know what? We're just going to do it. Replace some rock records and just have a laugh. And it seems to me like, like the best way to do radio without a shadow of a doubt. I, I really love that. So how big did it all become in the end? What sort of power were you running and what sort of hours were you doing, you know, as you went on? It was always just Sunday. Uh, Power-wise, we never used big transmitters. We relied on aerial technology. So we was using very, very efficient aerials. And because we knew how to tune them, it's not just about SWA. SWA doesn't make the aerial resonant, uh, but we actually got the aerials, we actually knew how to get the aerials resonant. So even, even with a slightly high SWA on them, they were actually radiating be better than what a normal aerial was. Uh, from Bow, oh, yeah, no, I can say that. It's An East private. London block. An East London block is getting down to Southend on 35 watts. I think I know the blocks in Bow you're talking about. There's three blocks together there, not far from the Bow flyover, um, which are extremely tall. The other station I knew that used to come, not from those blocks, but from where the um, Olympic site is now, was an old medium wave station called Radio 255. And um, the guy used to broadcast, and he claimed that the... Um, it was when there was uh, uh, electricity pylons there before they buried all the cables for the Olympic Park. And he claimed that this electricity pylon wasn't in use and he used to string the aerial up uh, on the pylon 
I wouldn't have gone anywhere near it personally, but he he survived, so I assume it, he was telling the truth. <laughs> but that, that's the other thing I know about Bo. You know, so not massive power, but but technically very very good, obviously. And were you covering the whole of London as well as at East? Were you going well into the West as well? No, uh, we got about as far as you're a taxi driver, so we got about as far as the A one thousand. Then there's a natural ridge there isn't there Finchley Barnet Highgate so we was always east of that we never quite covered London we got out well east and south yeah north east and south yeah, I think it's all part of the ridge where Muswell Hill is and all that sort of thing. And it all goes right through and Wood Green and so on and so forth. And as you say, it goes up and then goes back down again into the into the valley, the other side where Wembley is and all that sort of thing. It's all, it's all the rivers, basically, <laughs> all the rivers that flow into London. Right, so you're predominantly east and north London station. And I assume good in the south as well. Certainly from Bow, you must have been very loud over that way. Yeah, yeah, that was, our, that was where we was mainly... Um, getting to um we i don't know west london had its own stations i think there was one called radio duck with a d uh, they were on our frequency actually in the early days so we had a bit of a running with that lot um but i don't west london has never it never really got any rock stations they were always always lee valley or south london uh, yeah, I, I, no, I agree with you. I mean, there was a lot. There was quite a lot of pop and oldies stations over there. Um, I know Thameside came from. Um, I think everybody knows that came from Trellick Tower, uh, over over near um, over near Paddington, over that way, on the West Way. And uh, there was quite a few other stations. Obviously, there. But, but I think what the way it seems to work is that groups of people congregate around stations that already exist. So there was the Alice's and the T1 guys who were all sort of North and East London. So rock stations were very prominent around there. Then there was the um, South London stations, which were either Invicta, Soul stations, or they were Jackie type pop stations and a lot of that sort of thing. And it seemed from, from the way it, Certainly during my time, that's the way it seemed to work. That people knew people and they started stations around those um, those formats, basically. I mean, I, 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 my station was a punk and new wave station, um, as was Phoenix, as was Zodiac. You know, and again, we all knew each other, and it, it just—I I don't know—I all didn't join together and create a really fantastically big station. But there we go. Uh, such is life. With hindsight, we'd all be so brilliant, wouldn't we? <laughs> hindsight is a great thing. I can answer the um, the, the big station uh, question because it was all based on different people with different ideas, and that's what it should be. And there were some massive egos involved. Yeah, I, I mean, I broke away from the guys at, at Phoenix Analysis because I just wanted to do this punk thing and they were more interested in running a rock station. Um, and, and, and weirdly, Alice's was one station at one time and then Phoenix broke off again. So you, the same thing you're talking about, really, that they decided they were going to go more new wave uh, and that side of things. Analysis became more of a pure rock station. And although they use the same studio, the same transmitters, I think we can say that now, <laughs> same studios and same transmitters. Um, you know, they were, they were definitely separate entities. Um, but I, th I think they both did quite well because they had this sort of joint, uh, workforce for the want of a better phrase so in the end so you you decided it wasn't going to be a commercial thing you didn't want it to be a commercial station how did how did those splits um affect the way that rfm was was running at the time 
Massively, massively, in my opinion, it is what caused the station to to end. You see, what happens is somebody pays for a commercial and then you get everybody in the station. There's about 25 of us, maybe 30 of us in those days. Everyone would say, well, where's my money? Yeah, I, I never quite understood that. It's not about the money. <laughs> when you're running a pirate station, I don't know. People have got different ways to look at it, but I've never thought of it as something that I was ever going to get paid for. If if I could if I could generate enough money from the people around us and anybody who wanted to a mention on the station just to keep the thing going, just to pay for any transmitters that you needed or anything else. And if you get records, great. But I never, ever look to be paid for doing it. No, but what happens when the money does turn up? How is it distributed? That was the problem. And that caused the rift in RFM that effectively closed down the station. Plus the inevitable musical differences. Oh, yeah. There were plenty of those. Yeah, there was a musical difference. We had, it was a station of two halves. We had the MOR music in the daytime and the specialist rock in the evening. And that caused a, a split between myself and Claire because Claire wanted more of the specialist stuff. And we said, no, the listeners are coming from the MOR in the day. And so there, there really was two radio stations, two sides of the radio station battling it out for airtime because we didn't we couldn't increase the airtime and we, we was both battling each other to, to for our, our own if you like formats and then even worse than that indie came along and I started to introduce indie and that was seen as not rock music and so the inevitable split happened I walked away from RFM and, and we uh, started DFCM. We started a DFCM and Radio <laughs> Jennifer. <laughs> so that's another story. Okay, well, well that, that was my next question. So, so, so RFM closes down around about, well, early 90s, am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then what happens after that? Um, we went on to play with Medium Wave. We um, invented a, a new kind of aerial, which was... Um, dropped off the top of the uh, tower block and tied to a tree. So it went down at 45 degrees. And those transmitters, they were running about four or five watts and they were doing 100 miles. Okay, let me tell you, Have you? I don't know if you've listened to uh, the, um, the uh, podcast I did with Burt Bridges, but that is exactly the way he said they used to run on medium wave. They ran aerials out of the top of a tower block and ran it on a 45 degree angle down to a tree and put a loading at the bottom and they got miles on very little power and it seems to me that's the most effective way of running medium wave aerials and a lot of people have put them across the top of tower blocks or just straight down the side of a tower block uh, but that 45 degree angle seems to be the most effective way of broadcasting medium wave from you're the second people to tell me that basically um which i find quite interesting and and what was what was that station what sort of things were you doing with that uh, initially it went out as radio jennifer uh it had other names i can't remember what they were i've got an interesting story of that area though uh we kind of invented it up the pub <laughs> and so one one um bank holiday uh monday we said right let's go and try it let's go do it 
So we went along to this uh, tower block and we we put it on 819 kilohertz because we could get a crystal for that. And that 819 kilohertz, now Radio Caroline were not using it at the time. We got invited around to the Radio Caroline organisation with no addresses. No. And um, they said, the British government, they heard the 819 uh, transmission and they were really angry because at the time there was a war going on in Yugoslavia and they needed 819 to listen to the local U Yugoslavian station. They thought it was coming from Radio Caroline. They thought it was coming from the boat. So they got in contact with the Caroline organisation and there you go, there's an exclusive because they were talking to the Caroline organisation. And they said, you've got to turn it off and you've got to turn it off now, son. Anyways, Caroline organisation found out who was really doing, doing it, i.e. us. And we got this invite to the Caroline organisation and they gave us one hell of a telling off. We took it was like an interrogation. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> how dare you? How dare you we get us in trouble with the government? I mean, they were, they were running a boat. They were on a boat and they were telling us off and put, put the wire down the tower block. We did go out onto Caroline. We, um, one, one of our um, presenters had a, a very small boat and we decided one day it would be a great wheeze to go out onto the ship, the boat, and it had changed position overnight and it had gone a lot further away. We still decided it would be a great idea to go out there and halfway there, the weather changed, uh, but we, we kind of couldn't turn back. So you we, look good in green. Thank you. So, yes, mm. I was sick all the time, all the way there and all the way back. When we got there, the boat was being crashed against the side. Um, we had to wait till the boat rose on a wave. Then I had to leap onto the tyre, onto the side of the ship, and then I was hauled up unceremoniously by my pants on, on board. Are you going to tell Mark you can't swim? I can't swim. No. <laughs> Dave got up the same way. We were only able to spend an hour on board um, because the weather was getting so bad. The boat was getting smashed against the side. And we had to get back onto the boat the same way. So we had to wait for a wave to rise the, the boat and then just leap and hope for the best. Some, one of the most stupid things I ever did. I, I never went out to the ship. I, I did go and visit the ship after, the, after it had come in, you know, after 19, uh, 1991. Um, uh, down when it was down at Docklands, but that's, that's the nearest I ever got to going out to Caroline. Um, I, just life got in the way. I, I packed in Pirate Radio. By the time you got involved, I was out of the out of the game, basically. You know, we, we've all thought, oh yeah, I'd love to go out on Caroline and stuff like that. But thinking back, would I? Not sure I would have done. <laughs> Not when you, I, I read an awful... I mean, I've heard stories like that before from other people. I've read loads of books about it and stuff. And it, I cannot believe no one ever died getting on and off those ships because they just seem to be death traps in every puzzle, whether you're on it, off it, or trying to get on and off of it. It just seemed like uh, the health and safety just was a, not an issue because it just didn't exist. Um, and I'm not sure I would have liked that kind of experience. I'm not sure I've got very good sea legs either. Uh, same as you, Claire. <laughs> so you did you did this medium wave thing for a little while, and then how did it, how did things develop after that? Was that sort of a you know the the dying embers of your pirate radio world, or did you carry on? Yeah, I think we both we both moved on to other things. I moved on to Raiders Raiders FM, um, ran by Mike Summers, who was with Jackie. And um, I eventually ended up 
as program controller for, for Raiders, which I do to this day. They went online and I still work with them. Myself, I spent five years at 106.9 SFM in Sittingbourne. So if you're listening, hi guys, uh, doing the rock show on a Tuesday night. So, but it all got too much. Um, it's a completely different game. Legal Rage, as you know, it's a different game. You've got so many, much more in the way of restrictions, what you can and can't do. And it just, rock shows and uh, community radio don't go hand in hand, I'm afraid. You can't, you can't get dangerous enough to provide, to, to do it. Well, it, I mean, Ofcom regulations obviously get in the way. Uh, there's certain things you can and can't do. Uh, and I, I mean, I know that the station I work on now, though it's an online station, do follow the Ofcom regulations. I have worked on on FM stations as well, community stations, where where you you have to abide by the rules, and it, that's fine. And I quite enjoy the whole thing. I mean, I've had this conversation on this podcast with a lot of people about how radio is developing and and what's happening, and and I said. I've said to many people that if I was 15 now, would I? Would it be radio the thing I'd be in? Would it be more like to be, uh, you know, TikToking or, um, you know, Instagram or something like that? Would I be making YouTube videos instead? And and that's the thing we used what was available to us at the time to do the things that we wanted to do. And I think that's that's the way it's changed. Yeah, uh, we are currently looking at um, a classic car uh, program on. YouTube, and we've actually been filming it yesterday, and we're going to, we're going to be using the same anarchist, an, an, anarchist unformatted yeah. <laughs> uh, way of way of looking at old classic cars that haven't been recognised yet. We haven't we haven't yet come up with a name for it, uh, but you'll be hearing more about it, I'm sure, uh, when it goes on YouTube. For me, I'm just very grateful that we were there in the, 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 the glory days, the wild days of the Wild West, as far as pirate radio went. It was a fantastic time to be involved, and I wouldn't have wished to be involved at either end of it. Just those years were the best. I agree with you. It's why I ran the Facebook group. I started the Facebook group up uh, because I just think that period was so strong and there were so many really good stations. And the other thing, again, which I've had the conversation with many people about, is that we, what we all did, and I, I say that in, in the context of me in a very, very tiny, tiny way, you obviously in a much bigger way because your station was a much bigger station, and the guys at Alice's and the people at Invicta and the people at Horizon, Solar, you know, KISS, um, R RFL, all these stations, and I think what they did is they paved the way for what we now have today, uh, or certainly maybe not what we have today, because I'm, I'm not convinced what we've got today is fantastic. But we showed, you know, when, when I first started in, in Pirate Radio, there was Caroline, Luxembourg, 1, 2, 3 and 4, Capital and LBC, and that was on Radio London, and that was it. Now, there are thousands of stations. You can listen to any station from anywhere in the world, and even in this country, there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of stations. And I just think what we did is we showed that this was possible. And, and the fact that, you know, a few of them now are legal stations around. I live in Shropshire now, near the Welsh border. But we've got Sunshine Radio here, which is an old pirate station from Ludlow. Still on the air, still on medium wave, but legal now. Uh, Kiss FM, XFM was a pirate at first. I know that's Radio X now. And, and a number of other stations, which are... Which are which either ex-pirates or run by ex-pirates. I know loads of people involved in radio legally who were pirates. 
some of them quite high up. <laughs> uh, and I just, I just find it really interesting. Um, and I don't think it's given the recognition. It's one of the reasons I, I, I do the podcast and, and I do the Facebook group because I think it, it doesn't get the recognition it deserves for, for the way it changed the way people perceive radio. I think we, as a group of people, not specifically Rock FM, but as a group of people, we did change the, the, the radio in the UK uh, completely. If it wasn't for what we was doing, I don't think the government would have gone down the community radio route at all. I think uh, the government always needs to be pushed a little bit. Um, in the same way they did in the 60s with the pirates, and they go, oh, people don't really want 24-hour pop radio. They did. Absolutely they did. And then the government said, oh, people don't want specialist music, you know, local community stations. And they absolutely did. And that was, you know, the success of people like Kiss and LWR, uh, and before that, Invicta and Horizon, Alice's and yourselves, you know, all these stations got huge audiences. It, you know, there was an audience there that wasn't being catered for. Simple as that. And and now you look at, even on DAB, there are, you know, there's, there's Planet Rock and all these other stations who are doing a very similar thing. Obviously, on a commercial basis, they have to exist as commercial entities, um, which is why they tend to be <laughs> of the format they are. But I understand that. And I do know commercial radio is commercial radio and community radio is community radio. And you have to have a certain amount of um, uh, income to keep the whole thing going. Like you've said, and I know from people I've worked with, it's extremely hard to keep a radio station on the air, even if you're, even if it's just volunteers. Uh, you know, a 24-hour format is not like running a thing for five hours on a Sunday. It's a completely different kettle of fish. And, and I really admire the people who do do this purely as a voluntary thing. But uh, anyway, I think we're probably getting off topic a little bit now. <laughs> so, um, Raiders. Oh, Raiders, yes. Raiders FM online. Um, they're still going strong. Great team of presenters, all sorts of diverse music. Um, a worldwide listenership. That's brilliant. That's, that's, that's really good. And you still enjoy doing the radio and it's still more than a hobby. <laughs> it's in my blood. I think um, those days, you know, you get bitten by the bug, you never lose it. You're infected for life. <laughs> and, and how about you, Dave? you still feel the same way about radio? After SFM, I kind of retired from it. Uh, SF, the, the community radio station was sitting for 106.9 SFM. Uh, they gave me a job on Tuesday nights for the rock show. I did that for five years, but by the time I resigned from it I was burnt out and I've not really touched radio since I think the, the, the trouble is like you say Claire we're all infected <laughs> and, it, and it is a weird infection um, and I, you know my, my wife always says to me God it's it, what radio do you still talking about radio and I say it is a never ending subject <laughs> we can all talk about radio forever if we really need to <laughs> um, and, and I love it in a historical sense as well. So one of the reasons I do the podcast and the Facebook group, I read a lot of books. My undergraduate degree is history. So I'm one of these people who loves to learn as much as I can about a particular subject. Um, and and as I said, the, the Facebook group and the podcast, I've learned even more now. Um, I know how to put up a fantastic medium wave aerial from a tower block. <laughs> um I know all about how Radio Jackie started <laughs> from the horse's mouth, et cetera, et cetera. It's just, it's just lovely, lovely to, uh, it, it, you know, speak to people. And like I said, the reason we set up the group in the first place was 
because we just felt that the the people involved at that time didn't get the recognition. And and I, I sad to say, as you have already pointed out with, with Nigel, we are losing them. We are losing people. Brian Anthony from JFM has gone now. AB Cohn from uh, from Radio Jackie as well. Brian Horn, he's no longer with us. And these were massive characters in the game at the time. Um, and, and I, you know, I want to try and capture as much of that as I can. Um, and another big, massive name, Bob Tomalski from Invicta, who has done a few other naughty things in his time. He's no longer with us. Just as a separate thing, um, we've been talking about um, Eric Gotts and other people f- from from the, the period. If by any chance anybody from the former DTI or the post office or uh, the home office or whichever bit of it was the radio regulator department is listening to this, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your perspective. I promise you I will treat you absolutely fairly because you are just doing the job you were paid to do. And that's absolutely fair enough. And I, I've heard an awful lot of respect from people about people from, from from the authorities. So if there is anybody out there listening to this, or anybody knows anybody from the authorities, we'd love to talk to them. And as I said, I will treat them with utmost respect because they were just doing a job, basically. I think it's fair to add on this side, I mean, we've, we've got no animosity towards uh, towards the DTI as it was in those days, not at all. Uh, they, Like you say, they were doing their job and really and truly, I, if I'm looking back on it, I think, particularly with RFM, there was some sympathy there. I can't pl- put my finger on it but I think there was some sort of sympathy there because we um, we were always always um, treated fairly. I think. I mean, in the in in a way, they saw RFM as a bit of a dinosaur, a bit of an old school pirate, whereas they were going up against these more commercial dance stations. Um, but we never gave them any of that trouble. No, we left them there. We left them beer, indeed. Obviously, non-drinkers. It was very much cat and mouse, and um, I, I agree with what, what Dave just said. I think, to a degree, I'm not saying we were given leeway, but I think we could have got hit a lot more often than we did. Well, that's what, that's where I'll leave that. I think there was some sympathy there, but I, I can't I can't demonstrate why. I just I just think there was some sympathy. It's been so nice talking to you. Is there anything else you want to tell me about? Anything else to do with your pirate world, which you'd like to tell me about? Um. (laughs) Honestly, just how grateful I am to have been involved in it and to have met all the wonderful characters that I met, to have all the experiences I had. Um, I wouldn't have changed anything. It was just a fantastic time to be involved. And, you know, hello to everyone out there that I knew or no now? No, I, I, it was the best thing that I ever did. It, because it wasn't just for me, it, it, it um, provided company for a lot of lonely people. Because I mean, I, that's where I started off listening to radio. I mean, at one stage I had no, no friends. My dad was in the army and we used to move around every flipping uh, month or so. So, um, that the radio was the only constant in my life. And it was, it was nice to do Rock FM because it, it, to me, it felt like we're giving something back. I was giving something back to my past. 
Thank you ever so much, Dave and Claire, for spending some time telling us about what you did and your stations and uh, and how you started in it without knowing anything about it, which I think is the, the best thing of all about this. <laughs> so thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. Mark, I look forward to meeting you sometime in person. Thanks to Claire and Dave from RFM for letting us interrupt their Sunday lunchtime drink and chatting to us about their pirate radio days. If you have any comments on what we were talking about, then get in contact via the email address piratepod7080 at gmail.com. If you want to catch up on the past episodes, then just search Pirates of the Airwaves on your preferred podcast app or go to 1386audio.com forward slash have a listen. Feel free to like, subscribe, review or follow. That's it from us for this episode. We'll be back on the 16th of November with a brand new Pirates of the Airways podcast. So until then, this is Mark Wakeley saying stay safe. Radio Nova broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 meters. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.